Welcome to our DSM Hollywood podcast series. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Daniel Sherstad's weekly online Bible study for those in the entertainment industry, along with those who have a passion to see the kingdom of God revealed in Hollywood. For more information about DSM Hollywood, including upcoming events and how to join in on our Bible studies, please visit www.dsmhollywood.com. We're so glad you have tuned in, and we're grateful for the privilege to help you grow in your holy calling in Christ Jesus. Before you listen, I encourage you to grab your Bible and set your heart in expectancy to receive from the Lord, knowing that his heart is free to grow in knowing him and to grow in walking with him. I've been talking about the last several weeks about the whole thought about God restoring and recovering, causing recovering and healing to, um, to our orphan hearts. And, uh, and, I, and I put it like that because a lot of times, and I'm not talking about being a natural orphan, but a lot of times we go through life and things happen to us and different aspects of the orphan's heart creep in and it hinders us from really receiving really apprehending, really maintaining everything that God has for us. And so, as Danny was saying during worship, what, no matter what dream God has given you as it relates to the industry um, or outside the industry, for that matter, uh, whatever promise he's made to you personally for this season of your life, man, God is a covenant-keeping God. And so, I've been doing this for 35 years and to the glory of God, I can say, you know, I, I've, I don't know everything, but I certainly have learned a few things over the years about co- making dreams come to pass in my life. And so uh, even here tonight and being here is actually part of the fulfillment of the dream that God gave me many years ago. Come on. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Anna, Kim. Come on. So I want to tie a couple of things together. I'm going to read some, I want to read some scriptures out of Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus speaking, and then we're going to go to uh, Mark chapter 9 and read a story about Jesus and uh, dealing with mm, dreams. The story that I'm going to talk about is a dream that a father had. You say, you say well, it's a really it's a dream. Yeah, well, if, you, it's, if, if, you, if you have something wrong with your child and you want them to be set free from that or healed from that, Oh, or accomplish something, they have a dream for their lives. Man, as, as a dad, as a mom, that, that is, a, I know for me personally, that's my dream. And uh, come on in. And, uh, and so first I want to, I want to read um, a couple of scriptures here out of Matthew 13 and tie it together. And I'm going to read these verses out of the message. I don't usually read out of the message, but uh, uh, I want to read it because I just love the way it, it rolls. And it says here, verse 1, at about the same time Jesus left the house, he went out and sat on the beach. I mean, I, I got, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to go meet with, the, me and Sue are going to go meet with the pastor, dear pastor, he's 86 years old, still preaching. I mean, he, get, man, he preaches like an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday morning, if not more. 86 years old, still pastoring, still preaching, powerful man of God. And uh, he's got a church out there in the Laguna Beach area. So I'm going to go, we're going to go hang out with him tomorrow. And because uh, I'm pretty sure, I always tell people, I'm pretty sure Jesus lives in Laguna Beach. And, uh, and so, uh, but here in this story, Jesus actually went out and sat on the beach. And it says here that he started teaching and this crowd started gathering along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. 
And so he, it says he was using the boat like a pulpit, addressing the congregation, and he was telling stories. And uh, Jesus was a prolific storyteller. And, uh, and uh, many of you in this room are called to tell stories in, in the industry. And so what a powerful venue uh, that God has graced you uh, and called you to. Uh, he says, what do, you, what do you make of this? A farmer planted a seed, he scattered the seed, some fell in the roads, and the birds ate it, some fell on the gravel, it sprouted quickly, but it didn't put any roots down, so when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds, it came up, they were strangled by the weeds, and some fell on good earth, and it produced a harvest beyond its wildest dreams. How many want to produce a harvest beyond your wildest dreams? Come on. Jesus said that's a reality. He says, I'm trying to, he's trying to tell a story to make your dreams come to pass way beyond your wildest imaginations. So he goes, are you guys listening? Are you really listening to me, he says. And the disciples came and asked him, why do you tell these stories? And... Um, and so he replied, you've been giving insight into the king, God's kingdom, he said to his disciples. You know how it works, but not everybody has this gift. Not everybody has this insight that you guys have. It hasn't been given to them. And whenever somebody has a ready heart for this, what I'm talking about, the insights and understandings will begin to flow freely to them when their heart is right. But there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity <clears throat> that's going on in their hearts right now. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward being more receptive. That's powerful right there. I want you to think about telling stories. Come on now, in the industry, whether it's in, uh, come on, in writing songs, come on, writing TV, uh, shows, movies, whatever it may be, you're telling these stories to nudge people. Come on now, that's what, that's what it's all about. And he says, I I'm telling these stories to nudge people to be more receptive as it relates to insight. In their present state, they can't, they can stare until doomsday and not see it. Listen, until they all blue, until they're all blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they don't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they don't have to look, so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let them heal them. But you, God bless your eyes, eyes that can see, and God bless your ears, ears that you can hear. And a lot of people, <clears throat> prophets <clears throat> and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you're seeing right now, to hear what you're hearing, but never had a chance. So then Jesus goes in to tell the, 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 just the meaning of the story. And in verse, I'm going to read verse, just going to read one verse out of 22. And, uh, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion. It says, the sea sown among weeds represents the person who receives the message but all of life's busy distractions causes a divided heart and his ambition for wealth result in suffocating the kingdom message and prevent him from bearing a huge harvest of spiritual fruit in their lives. So Jesus said, I want to just focus in on that thought right there because I think that one can relate to a lot of people nowadays um, uh, because we get 
And I just want to just say right out up front, listen, it's so important that you stay focused on your calling, what your dream is. Busyness outside your calling is nothing more than false significance. Let me say that again. Any busyness outside of what you're called to do will create nothing more in your life than a false sense of significance. Because, come on, the Apostle Paul made it clear that when we stand before the Lord, you're only going to be, you're only going to be rewarded for what you did in this body as it is directly connected to what you were called to do. Many will come to me in that day and say, we did this and we did that and we did this, Lord. And he said, well, he said, depart for me. He said, you did not do the will that my father had for your life. Therefore, we really didn't have this knowing relationship. And that word know there comes is the same Greek word that is equivalent to the Hebrew word yada, which means in the, in the book of Genesis in the very beginning when it says that Adam knew Eve, they bore a son. That word yada means in that context what meant physical intimacy. Jesus is using it in the relation to you and your father in heaven had no intimate spiritual intimacy, therefore no fruit came forth from your spiritual loins. Come on now. So it's so important that we stay focused. Come on now. And do not let the busyness, all of these different distractions, literally rob us from hearing. Come on now. Because it's going to take faith to bring your dream into reality. Faith brings what you're hoping for will happen in the future. It brings it into reality. So if there's no real faith working... And faith comes by hearing. Right, Kathy? Notice it doesn't say faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Many people, they, they, they quote it like that, but it doesn't say that. It says faith comes by hearing, and the ability to hear comes by the Word of God. So faith doesn't come by just hearing the Word of God. Just like, if that was true, then all of us need to go home tonight. Come on now. Go on YouTube and find a 24-hour, come on, looping of somebody reading the Word of God to us. Come on now. And putting it on your eye, come on, your headphones there, and listening it to 24-7 for the next three days. And by, come on now, by Sunday, you should have enough faith to raise the dead. Come on now. If that's the way faith comes. But it doesn't. I know people that have, they literally have books of the Bible memorized. And yet, they're not, they're not even in the kingdom. I know other people that are, they can quote scripture and they, they hardly ever see things happen. Any promises manifest in your life. Why? Because faith comes by having an ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Hearing his voice comes by getting into the Word of God, being saturated in the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. Because the more you saturate, read, meditate in the Word of God, it literally creates an internal 
spiritual ability to hear and to be sensitive and to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when that takes place, now the Holy Spirit can take the written Word of God and speak it, and it becomes rhema. And it's that rhema word, Ephesians chapter 6 says, that we must take up the sword that the Holy Spirit wields, which is the Word of God. Mm, that word word of God there is rhema not logos not written it's the spoken word of God so the holy the sword that the Holy Spirit will it's his sword not yours he allows you to use it when he quickens it to you and so when after he quickens his word to you now his sword becomes your sword and that word sword there in the Greek language is makaira and it doesn't mean this big sword that's used like you see in Gladiator. Come on now. Um, in the, let me just, can I just throw this in for free. Riding down on a mountain, come on now, on a horseback with, come on now, a sword that big is not reality. Come on, the Roman soldiers did not do stuff like that. Those swords, those swords were so heavy, most of the time they were used in parades. They were, and, uh, and so the sword that the Apostle Paul is talking about is a sword about this big. It had a little tip on it, and it was double-edged sword. And it could only use, be used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So that's why mm, the Apostle Paul says, man, do not allow, when, the, when he says we're, we're wrestling against not flesh and blood, that word wrestle is literally in the Greek language hand-to-hand -hand combat. So you can't use, the implication is you can't use the sword that the Holy Spirit wills until you're close enough to your enemy, the devil, in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Come on, that's so I just want to encourage, don't get nervous in the service. Come on now, when the enemy is, oh, oh, pastor, oh my God, I don't understand. Why is the Lord allowing the enemy to get so close to me kind of thing? The reason he is is because he's setting that sucker up. Come on now. And as soon as he gets close to you, to, so you can use the hand, come on, that little sword that only, then he'll quicken the word to you. And then that sharp, two-edged, quick sword, you can pull it out. And literally, come on now, put it on the side, twist it, and yank out his innards. That's the way the Roman soldiers, they would literally drop their enemy to the ground with that little sword. Deadly little Machaira sword. How do you get the ability to use that sword? By having faith. But that faith only comes by being able to hear. And your ability to hear only comes by having a heart that is saturated with the word of God right here. So he said, my goodness, don't, the word of God, he said, God, is sown into your heart. You can hear it, but if you allow the distractions, the busyness, he said, or this hunger, hmm, he says that that's not kingdom-like. He says it can literally choke out that word that the Holy Spirit quickened to you. So that's, that's so powerful. Now, with that thought in mind, I want you to go to, to, to Mark chapter 9, and I want to read this story that Jesus tells. <clears throat> uh, it's, I'm going to start with verse 14. Now, Jesus is just, the first 1 through 13 is talking about Jesus coming off the mountain of transfiguration. I talked about that last week, about being transformed by the glory of God. And, uh, and so, uh, I'm not going to go into that tonight, but I want to talk about it. As it comes off the mountain, watch now what happens. Now, when they came down the mountain, the other nine disciples, they noticed to the other nine disciples, this is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they noticed a large crowd of people gathered around them. 
the religious scholars arguing with them, the crowd was astonished all of a sudden to see Jesus over here start walking towards them. <clears throat> so they immediately turned and ran to welcome Jesus to what was going on. And he says, what are you all arguing about with these religious scholars? A man spoke up out of the crowd. He said, teacher, he said, I have a son that's possessed by a demon that makes him mute. And I brought him here to you, Jesus. And whenever the demon takes control of him, it knocks him down and foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and his body becomes stiff as a board. I brought him to your disciples hoping they could deliver him, but they could not. Huh. <clears throat> Let me just stop right there. <clears throat> the reason this man brought him first to the disciples because the disciples had a track record. Let me just remind you that up to this point, the, the disciples are the most, outside of Jesus himself, the most prolific at raising the dead, healing the sick, and casting out demons. You remember when he, he gave them the power and the authority to do that, right? And then, and it was so prolific that he added 70 more to it. So now they have 82 disciples that he sends out to literally, and they all come back after, I don't know, three, four months, they come back because they're sent all over the place. They come back and they say they were rejoicing, the Bible says, because even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're going to village to village, to town to town, to region to region. They're casting out demons left and right, healing the sick, doing what Jesus commanded them to do, even raising the dead. And, uh, and so now they have actually have a reputation that has preceded them. And so this man brings his son, who's been literally demonized with this demon, for since he was, a, the story goes on, tells Jesus that he, since he was a little boy. So it's been going on for years. So he's not a little boy. He was most likely in his mid-20s at this time. So this has been going on for quite some time. And, uh, and, this, and this father is desperate to see. This is, this, is, this is what he's living for. Everything else is meaningless until he sees his son set free. Because his son represents the future. Come on now. Sons in that culture represent it. So if his son can't get free, as far as he's concerned, for as far as his family and the name, there is no future whatsoever. There is no dream as it relates to God. Always remember, God is a dream builder and a, a generational dreamer. Abraham, come on now, Isaac and Jacob, 12 sons, Joseph, all of their sons, the nation of Israel, boom, into the, into the promised land, right? And so it's generational. God thinks when it comes to dreams, generationally. And so this man understood, I, I, need, I, need, I need somebody to do something to help me. And so they come. And it says that the disciples were not able to do that. Now, now I think that I find that fascinating. Now, here in verse, uh, the next verse, it says, Jesus said to the crowd, Why are you such a faithless people? How much longer must I remain with you? And put up with He fell to the ground, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus turned your son been tormented like this. I think Jesus... Because you know why? Because I think you know, Jesus, 
You remember when uh, in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there was a lady that was bent over for 18 years, and it says it was a demon of sickness. And so she had been coming to that Sabbath service for 18 years, and nobody did nothing to help her. And Jesus said to them, they all got mad because he cast that demon out and she got healed on the Sabbath. He said, you're all a bunch of hypocrites because, man, you'll untie your donkey, your, your cows, whatever, take them and you'll do work and get them water and stuff like that. And, um, but, man, somebody setting, you'll, you'll set your cows and your, your donkeys free so they can do what they need to do kind of thing, but you won't take a step of faith whatsoever and set this lady's free should she not have been set free 18 years ago this daughter of abraham is talking about the covenant that god made with their forefathers and then jesus referred to that divine healing casting out demons was the children's bread it belonged to the sons and daughters and this is the first time that that not only jesus but anybody referred to a lady as a daughter of Abraham. It was always the sons of Abraham or the son of Abraham. This is the first time in that culture that Jesus took a woman and put her on the same level as a man. Man, no wonder they wanted to kill him. Come on now. They, they wanted to kill him dead, and they wanted to kill him dead yesterday. Come on now. And so, and so, so he does that. Jesus I mean, he is really disturbed over people not being able to receive what they have, the, what has already been provided for them. And here we go around with the beggar's mindset, trying to beg God, trying to talk him into something, when he said, I already did this all for you. It's a matter of you reaching out with some faith and grabbing a hold of that which I've already provided for you. Because you're in Christ are you not in Christ tonight? If you're in Christ, that means you're seated at the right hand of the Father as a king. Come on now. That's why he's called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're a king and priest unto your Father. And he says that everything that Jesus has already belongs to you. But that comes by revelatory understanding of who you really are in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, you need to pray every day that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to who you are in Christ. And so this, they, they, uh, so he says, since childhood, he replied, this demon tries over and over and over and over to kill him, throwing him into the fire, then throwing him into the water. But please, if you're able to do, some, do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to the father, what do you mean if? The message translation reads like this. There are no such things as ifs in the kingdom of God. There is no such things as if. And this word if there is used because when it comes to, to the, uh, the emphasis of a particular word in the Greek language, there are different levels where words can be emphasized. And Jesus chose in his original language to choose the strongest and most powerful emphasis so he was saying when he turned to this he said if there is no such thing as ifs in my kingdom because it ain't a matter in what i can do <clears throat> i can do anything it's a matter of what you can actually believe that i can do 
And once you can believe, he says here, he said, uh, he said all things are possible to the believer. We get a whole lot of unbelieving believers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And when he heard the boy, come on now, his father cried out with tears. That's very important. He cried out with tears saying, I believe, Lord, please help my little faith. Uh, and when Jesus saw the crowd quickly growing, he commanded the demon saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him to again. The demon shrieked, threw the boy down, Ta- terrible seizures took place. <clears throat> Finally, he, the demon came out of the boy. He laid there <clears throat> looking like a corpse. Everyone thought that he was dead. Jesus stooped, stooped down, gently took the hand of this young boy, raised him up to his feet, <clears throat> stood there, and he was completely set free and completely healed from the effects of living with that demon all those years. Afterwards, then Jesus arrived at the house. The disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And he answered them, this type of powerful spirit only comes out by <clears throat> fasting and praying. And let me just make this comment before I, because I'm, I'm big into accuracy. I just want to point this out. You'll notice in many translations that word fasting is italicized. And the reason it's italicized is, is because 98% of all of the ancient Greek transcripts, including the Aramaic that Jesus spoke in, do not reference the word, does not have the word fasting in it at all. There's only, only about 2% of a few Greek transcripts that were found during the third century, 300 years after Jesus had ascended, they were found with that word fasting. And so the implication is most theologians believe that somebody, for whatever the reason was, added that word fasting 300 years later. But the reality is Jesus never used the word fasting. He said, this demon comes out by praying. And yet Jesus didn't even pray. And he certainly didn't fast before he cast this demon out. So he's not talking about, okay, when somebody comes to you and they're deathly ill or they got a demon, he's not saying, go over there and sit down, give me your phone number, I'm going to go fast and pray for three days and come back while you suffer Come on now, for 72 hours, and then if I can work up enough courage, come on now, or come on, do enough spiritual calisthenics, come on now, then maybe I'll be able to cast that demon out. That is not what Jesus, that's the furthest thing. Jesus said, no, 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 it's all about praying into, and if we want to use the word fasting, fasting into a lifestyle of authority and power. Come on now. Uh, and here, here's one of the reasons. So he says here now, watch now. Jesus, I believe, but help my little faith. Or one translation, help my doubt. Another translation said, help my unbelief. Going back now to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to reference now Mark chapter 11 when Jesus was dealing with his disciples about when he <clears throat> spoke to the fig tree, it died. The next day they came back and they saw the thing completely and totally withered away. They, and Jesus said, now listen guys, if you want to be able to speak to things in your life and see them change, rearranged, moved or moved in or moved out, you've got to number one, have the faith of God, not faith in God. 
The original translation says you must have the faith of God himself. How does that happen? By having an ear that can hear, right, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then having a heart. Now watch. Because Jesus said, he goes on to say, he goes, guys, you can literally speak to that mountain. You can speak to the San Gabriel mountain range and literally command it to be cast into the sea. It wasn't a metaphor. He was literally saying, you can literally speak to a literal mountain, just like I spoke to a literal tree, and you can command that thing to do something, and it will obey you because it must listen to words of faith that have authority behind it. And so he says, if whatever, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, Whatsoever things, whatever dream that you have for your future, whatever you're hoping will happen in your future, as it relates to the call upon your life, he said, if you believe in your heart, come on now, that's where, come on right here, your heart, out of your heart, been talking for weeks now, out of your heart, Mark, Proverbs chapter 4, and your future is in your heart. Guard your heart with great vigilance and diligence, for out of it come the issues. The Hebrew word is borders. The borders of your life will be determined by the condition of what's going on in your heart. Jesus said, come on now, that here this guy said, this guy, the word went into his heart, but he allowed distractions, come on now, all kinds of worries, anxieties, being, come on now, worried about or focused on so much stuff that it literally choked out the genuine word that he received from God. Never, ever, ever judge a word from the Lord by results Mm. jesus said right here the word was sown a genuine real word from god was sown into all four of these people's hearts only one out of four produced a harvest that means 75 percent of the people who receive come on now a real genuine word from God will produce no results because they pay no attention to what's going on in their heart. They never deal with the attributes of an orphan's heart. And it just chokes it out. It chokes it out. Let me give you two, two characteristics real quick here. <clears throat> I, got, I got about nine of them, but I'm going to give you two real here. Number one is, uh, is that believers after 35 years, have a hard time really relating a lot. And I mean a lot. I'm not exaggerating. A lot of believers have a hard time relating to God as a father because of whatever the culture they grew up in, the family they grew up in, the abuse that they, they experienced uh, from their father or from a husband, whatever, whatever they came from a particular mate. Uh, and so they have a hard time, whatever, a father representing authority in their life, really relating to them. And so if you ever pay attention, most people will talk about Jesus, but not the father. They're always talking about Jesus, but not the father. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 14. Listen, after the Holy Spirit comes, you will ask me from that day forward nothing anymore. Don't come to me and don't ask me anything. You will go to my Father and you will stand there wrapped in my righteousness and ask or request something within the authority of my name and your Father in heaven will give it to you that I might be glorified in you. 
But he said, don't be coming to me. Don't be, asked, don't be talking to me in your prayers. Talk to the Father. But so many believers have a hard time doing that because there's something in their heart that just, I just can't utter the words. I just, man. So Jesus said, man, not only is the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me, come on now, to heal the sick. But no, he said, I, I came not only to get you to heaven, but to heal your broken heart or your orphan's heart right there. Number two characteristic is um, people that have that kind of orphan spirit about them, an orphan heart, is they can never stay in one place very long. Man, they, they hop from one ministry to the next. They hop from one church to the next kind of thing. They hop from one relationship to the next. They hop from one marriage to the next kind of thing. They don't have any kind of late. They hop from one job to the next job. Come on now. One agent to the next agent kind of thing. And so they're just jumping. Man, if they get, whoo, man, somebody starts getting close to you. Oh, my God. Come on. If I really get hooked into that local church kind of thing, oh, my God. Man, I might, I might, I might start, they might. I might have some friends then, and they might want to come over to my house. Come on. If they come over to my house, then I might have to actually vacuum the house. Come on, somebody. And then, more importantly, then I might actually have to clean up my, my heart, clean up the words. I can't get that. I can't allow them to get too close kind of thing. After 35 years, I like to relate it like this. When I, was, when I was 18 years old, 17 years old, I worked at a gas station. I was pumping gas. I don't, most of you don't know what that is. And, uh, but we act, there was actually people that actually came to your car and pumped your gas. You never even had to get out of your car. I used to check your oil, wash it, and wash the windshield. Come on, and pump your gas right there, man. You could just sit in your car and do whatever you wanted to do, and, uh, and I did it all for you. And so I did that for like a, um, about a year and a half right there while I was the last year that I was in uh, high school kind of thing. And so I'm doing that. <clears throat> and back in that day, this is back, like, back in 1980. So that's a long time ago. They had, the, they had, these, they had these little books. They're called the, the, these uh, kind of like these green books that you could put stamps in it. So every time you came to the gas station, you pull your book out, they would put another stamp in it, right? And if you filled up the book, right, you could get like a free toaster or something like that. <clears throat> Yeah, I got a $7 toaster. Come on now. After I spent $7,000 on gas. Come on. And so, uh, anyway, so that's how it worked back in those days, right? And so I'd be putting stamps in the book. And I, after when I started pastoring, I realized that, man, there's a whole lot of people in the church with that orphan spirit on this thing that they're going around collecting stamps. You know what I'm saying? They got the stamp, but they're coming in. They're like, ooh, ooh. Oh, that, that door greeter, my goodness, he did not talk to me very sweetly. Come on now. Boom, I'm pulling it. Boom, another stamp, one stamp right in that book right there. Come on now. Because when I get this book filled up, I'm out of here. Come on now. And so I got to get, so then I, I go to sit down and the usher brings me to place and he puts me in a chair that I did not want to sit in. Come on now. And he was not very nice about it either kind of thing. And so boom, another stamp in your book right there. Come on now. Oh, when I, next week when I brought my children to the church, I brought them to the nursery and the nursery worker, man, she had an attitude. I didn't really like that at all. Boom, another stamp in the book right there come on now then the next week I walked in and man I saw the pastors walking in and she was looking just a little too cool come on somebody and uh man oh pastors wife, they got cool clothes in this church walk out boom another stamp in the book right there kind of thing and then the pastor gets up come on and starts preaching and man he is talking about all of the issues going on in my life kind of thing boom I didn't really like that he's stepping on my toes left to right boom another step and I stamp in my book kind of thing boom then one week he actually looked at me straight in the eye and said something that 
really turn, really upset me. Kind of like, boom, boom. Oh, my goodness. Now, man, you, your book is three-quarters of the way filled. Come on. Now you're looking for anything. Come on now. Now you're looking for any reason. Come on now. Oh, you're just you know, looking, looking, looking. you got to get now. Oh, you, next thing you know, man, you're, you're there like six months, and the book is full. Oh, look at, look, look. My book, my, I got all the steps. Boom, I'm out of here. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit telling me it's time to move on from this place. Ooh. Of course, you got the Holy Spirit tell you to move on. Your stamp, your book stamp is full. That's why. Come on, as soon as that thing's full, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit every time. It ain't the Holy Spirit. It's your little orphan heart. I, I can't stay committed. So if I get too close to people, boom. <clears throat> I, got, I got to run before I get hurt again. I've been hurt too many times at the job, other churches, come on, in my family growing up i was never a real orphan but i feel and we never really recognize that and jesus said all of these weeds that are growing up in our heart choke the word the genuine word that i received from god was choked out by all of these other weeds that are growing because weeds come on now can grow in the same garden as the plants that you grow your heart is a garden Jesus said, if you have faith and believe in your heart and do not doubt. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, do not plant or sow two different seeds in the same soil. And the reason is, is because the seed trains the soil from a natural standpoint. And it trains the soil and tells the soil what nutrients to bring to it what kind of a plant it is, what kind of a fruit tree it is, whatever it may be, the, the, the seed begins to communicate to the soil and says, I'm this kind of seed, because in the seed is the blueprint for the future. Come on now. Once God releases the seed into the ground, he doesn't have to do anything else. The power to become an oak tree is already in the seed. The blueprint to grow up to be an oak tree is already in the seed. Nothing else has to happen. The seed just has to be sown into the soil. And then the seed begins to communicate, okay, I need this much water, I need this much oxygen, I need this much sun, I need this kind of nutrients from the soil. But when two different seeds are sown into the same soil or the same heart, it rises up, come on now, and distractions take place. Mm, I, I believe, he's the, the, the man said to Jesus, I believe, but I, mm, I'm doubting. What is that? Two different seeds in the same garden growing at the same time are you following me and now that there's two seeds in the heart they're both sending messages to the heart to the soil and confusion sets in with the soil and jesus said once confusion sets in you will receive nothing from me so that heart has to be pure it has to be healed. It has to be. That's why every day we have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, man, whatever's in my heart, man, whether I, whatever, even things that I don't know. Because, you know, the watering of God's Spirit rains on everything that's growing in your heart. Mm. I want you to think about that for a moment. The watering of God's presence waters everything. No matter what's sown in your heart, it waters everything at the same time wouldn't it be cool to have a watering system at your house that only watered come on now the trees the plants and not the weeds but it doesn't do that way the same with God's watering system he says my watering system of my presence waters 
your heart, the soil of your heart. You get into my presence, whatever is in there, the water of my presence will cause it to come up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason there's stuff that doesn't glorify Christ, things that are not of the character of Jesus that are in there, because all of us carry brokenness and beauty in our heart at the same time. And when you don't, aren't honest about that, then you're never really going to grow in the Lord. And you're never going to really get your heart to a place where you can really see the dreams take place, where you can see that abundant harvest take place. You've got to get rid of them distractions. You've got to get, get rid of that confusion. You've got to get rid of them, those weeds. And so the purpose, God says, the watering of my presence is those things that are in your heart, they need to come up so that you can deal with them. Hmm. Come on now. You ever be driving down the road? This, this is me. Driving down the road, and every single crazy day, I run into people that don't have a clue how to drive a car. Oh, my God. If I had my way, I would push a button, have a helicopter come and with a big claw and grab these people and take them out to the desert. You know what I'm saying? These people get on my nerves. Get on my thing. I oh, mean, every time, I mean, I, man, even to driving here tonight, I felt, man, I felt something coming up out of my heart right there. But I was, oh, man. Man, I'm on, man. I can feel, I can feel some anger coming up. Oh my God! There, oh, as soon as that anger, I felt like something. That's that, that, that's something sprouting up to him. The watering of God. He's like, man, now, 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 I got a choice. I got a choice. I can repent. I can acknowledge that. I can ask. Come on now, and deal with that. I can ask the Lord to help me with that. Come on now, and and the the goal is between that thing sprouting up in my heart. Whether it's anger, frustration, come on now, frustration is nothing more than you expecting the dream that's in your heart to happen before it's supposed to happen. Come on, let me say that again. Frustration is nothing more than God trying to tell you, come on now, that what you want to happen right now, it's not time for it to happen right now. You need to learn to relax. You need to learn to have some patience come on you need to learn how to compose yourself and maintain composure in the midst of the storm so that you can stand up in the midst of the storm and speak to the storm but if if you got all kinds of stuff happening in your heart you won't be able to do that and so all kinds of things there's man you remember when jesus at the last supper man one of the most intimate and most intense moments going there and here, the presence of Jesus, the watering of his presence is filling the room. Now watch now. We got one person by the name of John who's resting his head on the bosom of Jesus. We got another guy over here by the name of Peter who's saying, I will never, ever turn my back on you, Jesus. Man, I don't think you understand how strong I am. We got a guy over here manifesting nothing more than arrogance and pride. Proverbs chapter 16 says that God detests pride. And the word pride there in the Hebrew language comes from a root Hebrew word that means locust. God says pride unchecked in our life will be like a swarming locust that will consume the future harvest that God has planned for your life. And, <clears throat> come on now, if you don't repent. Fortunately, Peter repented, 
<clears throat> but we got a guy over there. This is coming up out of his heart. It's growing in his heart, the presence of God. And then we got a guy over here by the name of Judas who's getting ready to exit the door, and he's looking back at Jesus, and he's getting ready to literally turn his back completely and totally on Jesus. we got three different things happening in the same watering of God's presence. Why? Because different things are happening in different hearts. So when, you, when, when those things start surfacing, we want, our goal is, that by the time that thing surfaced and by the time we repent, we want that gap to shorten. Come on, we don't want to go three days before we repent. Come on now. We want to go three minutes, three seconds. Come on now. And say, Lord, Lord, help me with that kind of thing. So here, Jesus is this demon manifest. Again, here's illustration. Why did this demon manifest like that? So it's, and you know why I think? Because that demon did the same thing in front of the disciples. Now watch this. Faith sees into the unseen invisible world and brings what's in the unseen invisible world into reality. But if something, so the, the eye of your faith is looking in the realm of the Spirit, but the enemy loves to bring and cause things to happen in front of your natural eyes to distract you, to be consumed, to strike fear. Come on now. I always tell people for years, when you see a demon manifest, that, is, that tells you that demon is scared to death. Come on now. Because he knows that his moments are numbered, and now he's going all out to, to try to scare the H-E-L-L out of you. Come on now. So that you back off of that. And they were very, that demon was successful with the disciples. They had cast out many, many demons, but this demon manifested in such a radical way that it literally, <clears throat> that it brought such distraction to the, the nine disciples that their faith could not work this time, and they couldn't cast that demon out. And so now this demon is trying to do the same thing with Jesus. But Jesus is not impressed with the demon. Come on now. Listen, every time you become, you're impressed with the giant in front of you, that just tells you that you've lost sight of how big your God is. You need to become impressed with how big your God is, not how big your problems are, how big your giant is in your life kind of thing. So what is the problem there? What, what, what's going on? What, what does the disciples think the problem is? What does the Father think the, the problem is? They, they, they think the problem is the demon. Jesus said, no, the demon's not the problem. The problem is the, um, is the unbelief. Ah, the problem is, is that the hearts are, have so many, <clears throat> you got the word, you got the very presence of Jesus Christ standing in their midst. Come on now. The disciples have spent, mm, come on, all kinds of time with them. They got the word on the ends. They all know it. They, they knew it. But now, because of this distraction, because of this manifestation, it literally has struck something, in the, and it literally causes something that the enemy could relate to. You see, the enemy has no power over you until he can find something in your heart that he can relate to. 
Are you listening to me? That's why he said, listen, in John chapter 14, he says, listen, I'm getting ready to go. He said, but don't worry, Satan is coming with everything he got against me. But don't worry because he can't find anything in me. What he means is there's nothing in me that he can relate to. Therefore, he can't get his claws on me. But if he can find something that's growing in our heart that he can relate to, boom, he grabs a hold of that thing. He hooks onto that thing. And now that gives him authority in your life. And Jesus said, no, no, the issue ain't that demon. That demon ain't nothing. I created that demon. The, the demon, the problem is, is you all don't understand the authority that you have. Sometimes it's just simply understanding that you have more authority than that demon does. You don't even need to manifest power because you can try to manifest power or even manifest some kind of power. But if you don't understand, because I've seen power of God manifest in rooms and yet the demons did not go anywhere. Why? Because the people that were doing that you could feel it in the atmosphere. They truly did not understand the authority that they had. Remember I shared with you last week about a man by the name of Smith Wigglesworth raised, I don't know, 13 people from the dead, raised his wife twice from the dead. He literally had to have a word from the Lord to let his wife die. Come on now. And the Lord literally spoke to him. He said, he said son, please let your wife die. It's time for her to die. It's time for her to come to heaven. And so he, he, didn't, he, didn't need, he didn't need a word from the Lord to raise people from the dead. He needed a word from the Lord to let them die. That's how much authority he carried in the realm of the Spirit. Demons trembled. Death itself trembled when it walked into his presence. Nothing special about that man of God. <clears throat> he just understood. You know why? Because I told you last week, he did nothing but read the Bible. All he did, he learned how to read at the age of 50-something, never even could read or write, but learned how to read by reading the Bible and writing by reading the Bible. And, uh, and so, and literally, all that, he never read a newspaper, never read anything else, no other books in his life, nothing, all day long. There wasn't 15 minutes that went by in his life that he didn't pull out his Bible and read the Scriptures. He was meditating on the Scriptures. He was sowing this Word into his heart and his heart. And what did that do? It created a heart that could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit all day long saying, raise that one from the dead. Come on, heal that one. Cast that demon out. And he would just exercise the authority because his heart was so saturated with the, with the Word of God right there. Getting that Word on the inside. Come on now. Now the disciples come to, uh, to Jesus after the whole thing is over, and they say, why can't we cast that demon out? <clears throat> and notice Jesus didn't say, well, because he really wasn't, the, you know, he, he wasn't uh, the will of God for that demon to come out kind of thing. It wasn't the will of my father. Or my father was trying to teach that dad a spiritual lesson. And my, dad, my, my father in heaven was trying to draw him closer to himself by letting his son suffer more with that demon and that sickness. Notice Jesus didn't say stupid stuff like that that you hear from the pulpit nowadays. They were stunned that it didn't work for them. We're stunned when it does work. 
<laughs> Come on now. We're like, oh my God, did you see that? It worked. Come on now. I've seen signs and wonders. Come on. I've seen blind eyes open up in front of me. Total blind. Come on now. And I was like, my God, woo, we did some dancing. Come on, somebody. Man, we were rejoicing, but come on now. These the disciples, man, they were not they were not shocked when people got healed. They were not shocked when demons came. They were not shocked when people were raised from the dead. They were shocked when it didn't happen. What to God that each and every one, including myself, we got to that place, come on now, where we're only shocked when it does not happen, and we don't sit around coming up with theological reasons why it didn't happen. To make excuses, mm, come on now, for and saying, you know what? Mm, I believe, but I got, I got some doubt. I got some weeds growing in my garden. Come on now. Uh, come on, I got some weeds growing up, and I need the Lord to do something with my heart and help my heart to be more pure so that I can move like he wants me to move. I'm talking about drink. Come on now, you're talking about you got... I, all of you, if all of you in this room got dreams, come on, you got visions, you got big visions, got big dreams, you got big callings, you wouldn't be here tonight. Come on now. And I'm telling you right now, once you get a genuine word from the Lord, you grab a hold of that and you guard your heart. Come on now. You hold on to that and you make sure nothing chokes it out. And you until, whether it takes a year, two years, ten years, whatever, until you see that thing manifest, you see the harvest come your life. Let me just tell this story to you. Not this. I'm going to close with this story here tonight. That uh, back in 2008, I pastored a church up near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for 10 years. Okay, I've been pastoring for for 35 years now, and uh, and so, um, dear friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Pruitt, pastored a church by the name of Faith Builders International there, and by the uh, Milwaukee Airport there, kind of thing. Yeah, his his back. It's 2008 now. What? Now listen now. His worship leader was a young man by the name of Danny Gokey. How many of you know who Danny Gokey is? Come, come on, let you love Danny Gokey. Come on, he's, he's a cool guy. Okay, now Danny Gokey now, back in 2008, nobody knew who he was. This is before he was on American Idol. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, unbeknownst to me, I came to the church that he's leading worship on a Friday night. It was a special service kind of thing. Um, the pastor, who I was good friends with, still in fetters with, called me up onto the platform to minister to the people and to prophesy and to pray and to make prophetic decrees into the atmosphere. So I did that. Danny Gokey was standing behind me. Now, unbeknownst to me, his wife had just died just about three weeks earlier. Unbeknownst to me that he had already started the initial process of American Idol. When you show up and they, you know, you sing for them, right? And they say, oh, you're going to Hollywood. They give you the golden ticket. He had already gone through that part. He hadn't, hadn't been to Hollywood yet. So, they, you know, between all of that, there's like months in between all of that kind of stuff. So I didn't know any of that, but I prophesied a word that night that literally <clears throat> dropped into Danny Gokey's heart and brought healing, began to bring healing, wholeness, and strength, and faith concerning his future. Okay. Now, now I didn't even know who, what Danny Gokey's name was. I just saw his face there, right? Now, 
fast forward and watch that. Listen very carefully. This is so powerful. Fast forward six months into the future. We're sitting at home, me and my wife. We're watching American Idol. Danny Gokey comes on. I don't know who he is. And I said to my wife, she was like in the kitchen or something. I said, look at this guy right here. Doesn't that guy look like the, the worship leader for Pastor Jeff Pruitt? And she came up, no, that's not him. I'm, th- I'm like, no, I think it really is him. She goes, nope, that's not him. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm like, I think it really is him. I don't know who he is, but I think that's, that's, that's the same guy that we saw that night six months, six months ago. And she goes, nope, 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 that's not him. And, uh, and so then about 10 minutes later, boom, it said Danny Gokey, worship leader, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was like, boom, my God, that is the guy that was on the platform that night. That is the worship leader. I was like, whoo, come on, somebody, right? And so, man, so that was the only time that we were like crazy voting, come on now, on American Island. We were like voting 24-7 for Danny Gokey, right? And so, you know, he goes through the whole process, right? And so he makes it to the top three. And you know the story in top three, they all get to go to their hometowns. They fly them on the private jet, come on to their hometown. All of the Fox network comes, the TV network, everybody's coming, right? So now he's in Milwaukee doing the whole thing, and he comes to his church where he's the worship leader, and there was about nearly about 1,000 people in the service places, packed wall-to-wall people kind of thing. And, uh, and so uh, now he's only three left in, in American Idol. He gets up and does a concert. And just a praise and worship music kind of thing. Fox is there, the television studio, and then all the cameras. It's, it's going live over the Fox network kind of thing. Everything's happening there. Sue and myself, we walked in, and uh, uh, the ushers put us on the front row. So we're sitting on the front row. Uh, right before Danny Gokey came out, the Associated Press came over and wanted to interview me because they thought I was Danny Gokey's dad. And... Uh, <laughs> and Looking back at it, I should have said yes. And, uh, and so anyway, so they, they, I said, well, yeah, I, yeah, maybe I look like his dad, but uh, I don't know. Uh, but I'm really not his dad. Anyway, so Danny Goke comes out, does the whole concert, I kind of think. Okay, so now it's over. He's, he starts walking to his right, but then he jumps off the platform, and he walks over to Sue and myself. And now you're going to... The Fox cameras are moving. Everything is live on TV. He puts his arms around Sue and myself. And I say to him, I said, Danny, I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I don't know, six, seven months ago, I was on that platform, and I decreed a prophetic word. And he, and he whispered into our ears, and he said, he said, Pastor, I will never forget who you are. That prophetic word saved my life that night. If it wasn't for that word that was dropped into my heart, I would not be here today. I'm talking about fulfilling dreams. Come on now. You talk about a wounded heart. Come on now, having your wife, you've just been married a couple years, die on you like that. She was only like 20-something years old. So now you look at Danny Kilke's life. Man, he's like globally known, right? He has a beautiful wife, beautiful children, having great influence all over the world because here's a man that in spite of all of hell coming against him, he did not allow it to choke out the word that he received into his heart that night. Are you catching hold of that? Come on now. 
I had people calling me, all, blowing up my phone, all over my church, wanting to know what I'm talking to Danny Gokey about because it's going live on TV all over the place. And then on top of that, People Magazine was there that night, and they stood on the platform and took a picture from, of Danny Gokey singing from his back, and we were sitting in the front row, so we ended up in the picture. I still got it. That's right, baby. We made People Magazine, me and Sue. I got it. I got it home in my bedroom up there, baby. It's looking good. Come on. I just looked at it the other day. We are looking good in People Magazine. Woo! Sue, myself, and Danny Gokey. Come on now. Well, made it. I made it. It might have been just one time, but I was in there one time. Come on now. I want to say all of that. Listen, nobody knows who I am. But I just stay in my lane doing what I'm called to do, not letting every, all, all kinds of busyness give me some kind of artificial significance in my life. The significance that's, that I feel for my life, the busyness outside what you're called to do is artificial significance. It's not real. And so I got to stay in my lane and realize that even me, come on, from Adam, has, if I just obey the Lord, and say what he tells me to say, and do what he tells me to do. The fact that you're going to have one prophetic word dropped into one young man's heart who lost his wife, come on now, but had this dream to sing in front of the entire world. And it's happening right now. If God could do that for Danny Gogi, God can do that for you. So I don't care what kind of dream you got as it relates to, to <clears throat> producing, writing, acting, whatever it may be, whatever job you may be doing right now, don't let go of the dream. Let the dream, the word, the promise that God's put in your heart, man, let it sit there. Let it grow. Let it develop. Come on, let it be watered by his presence and don't allow anything else to choke it out. Somebody say amen. amen. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for Lord God, Father, each and every person here, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for the calling upon their life. Lord God, every person that's on the, the Google Meet call, everybody that's watching on Facebook, Lord God, Father, I pray for everyone here tonight, Lord. I lift them all up to you, Lord God. And we say, Lord God, I want to pray first and foremost, Lord God, Father, if there's anything in our hearts that has the potential of choking out your promise, your word, hmm, we ask, Lord God, bring it to the surface, and we repent of it. We, we're going to quickly repent, Lord God. We're going to ask you to heal us of that, Lord God, even starting tonight, Lord God, Father, to heal us, to, to deliver us, Lord God, Father, in our hearts, Lord God, so that your word, your promise, your dream, your desire, Lord God, Father, your vision for our lives may become strong. Lord, like that, 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 that our Holy Ghost sanctified imagination, Lord God, Father, can take that dream that you've given to us, Lord God, and imagine a future that's mind-blowing, Lord God, Father. We thank you, Lord. I thank you. May that take place in each one of our hearts here tonight. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor. We ask that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.